0: Wow! This is exciting! I want to talk to you uh, tonight about unity in diversity. The most important message I can give to all of you young people is that you're loved. God has a unique, tailor-made purpose for each of your lives. And I'm hoping and praying that tonight, each of you will get a vision for what God could do with your life. St. Paul wrote to the Galatians about calling. This is the height of your calling. You are all, you all are children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Every person here has faith in Jesus Christ. Every one of you is a child of God, a much loved child of God. For all of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourself with Christ. That's the height of your calling. Then the breadth of your calling. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And then the length of your calling. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That goes back 4,000 years. All the promises of God find their yes in you because of your faith in Jesus. I have a new passion, a new dream. You're never too old to set a new dream or to have a new goal. I read recently about a woman called Hurricane Hawkins. She is 103 years old. She has just won at the veteran games in Latin America, she has just won the 100 metres and the 50 metres. She won the gold medal in both, and she set new world records for the over hundreds in the 50 and the 100. And here's the thing: she did not start running until she was a hundred years old. So you're never too old to dream a new dream or to have a new vision. And you're never too young. Pete Winter's daughter, Bethany, is eight years old. She has started a connect group in the church. She's our neighbour. And when I see Beth, I say to her, how's your connect group going? And she tells me how many people turned up last week, what they were studying, what she was teaching them, what they discussed. I asked her about her vision for it. She's eight years old. So if you're here tonight and you're 11 or 12, don't worry, you've still got time. You're never too old. You can still have a dream. Paul Williams, our former Bishop of Kensington, now Bishop of Nottingham, It wasn't until he was 12 that he received his call to full-time ordination in the Church of England. (laughs) And the bishop took him seriously, put him on an ordination track, and he became the youngest bishop in the Church of England. Maybe God will call some of you to that tonight. Or maybe there's something else. He'll give you a vision about climate change or something totally different. But we're believing that God will give each of you a vision for your life, a new vision, a new dream. And I have a dream about unity. I want to talk to you tonight, not about the unity I've often talked about, unity between churches and denominations. But this is a different type of unity, a unity in diversity. This is the unity that Paul is talking about in this passage. A unity with a diversity of genders, a diversity of social backgrounds, and a diversity of ethnicities. And this is so important because in our society there is still sexism, there is still elitism, and there is still racism. We have an amazing church warden, Genevieve. She's married to Bernie, and uh, I think the camera will be on them in a moment. So that you, just in case you don't know who they are, they are a great couple, and uh, they're great friends. And very kindly, they took us to a, yeah, there they are, Bernie and Jen. They took us to a football match, Chelsea versus Manchester United. And it was a very exciting match, but we left 10 minutes early. And as we were walking away, I said to Bernie, do you always leave early? He said, yes, I always leave early. I said, why is that? He said, when I was 20 years old, we'd been been playing rugby, he was a rugby player, and uh, he said he went into a pub and there was a football supporter in there and as he was, as he was getting a drink, he felt a beer glass being smashed against his side and he turned around and the guy used the N-word and was about to stab him in his face and he put up his arm and he showed me the scar on his arm that he still has. And what struck me was, racism is not dead. This is this year, we left 10 minutes early because he's aware that could happen again in our society. So this is a massive issue. And we, the church, have to set the example to the world. Now what I'm going to talk about tonight is a very very sensitive subject and on these occasions when I speak at Focus I always say I don't want the tape to go out because I want the freedom to be able to speak from my heart with the passion that I feel about this subject without worrying too much about every word that I say so if you're offended by anything that I say tonight please I ask your forgiveness in advance So I'm not intending to cause offense, but if I do, I'm aware that in this area there's difficulty of language and emotions run high. And I don't want my message to die the death of a thousand qualifications. My uh, intention is not to criticize other parts of the church or anything else. It's primarily to point a way forward for us, for this network in these areas. And I want to pay tribute to those who are far advanced certainly of me, in this area. And one of those people is the p- someone who's here tonight, and I want to pay tribute, and it's an amazing thing that he and his wife are here tonight because they have played a major role in this whole area of diversity, gender diversity, social diversity, ethnic diversity, in the last few years. I'm talking about our Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin <laughs> and In a moment, Here's just one or two of the things that he has achieved since he's been Archbishop. He oversaw the General Synod m- meeting which approved women bishops exactly six years ago. This, Since then, 50% of the women, over 50% of the, wi- the, the bishops appointed have been women. Uh, And he has just appointed the first black woman bishop, Rose Hudson-Wilkin. And he has overseen the General Synod resolution to create a church on every urban estate in this country. And I also want to pay tribute in this area to the work of St. Miletus because St. Miletus is is a theological college. It started, actually Sandy was started, Sandy Miller started it with the School of Theology. And that became SBTC, Graham Tomlin's vision. Graham, Graham Tomlin, who's here tonight, is his brainchild together with the Bishop of London, and it's grown and it's grown. Hundreds of people are being ordained there. And, uh, this is what's recently happened. St. Melitus has recently become the first theological college in this country, ever, to receive a gold teaching excellence award, the highest rating in the national government TEF, teaching Excellence framework, exercise. Institutions receive a gold award for delivering consistently outstanding teaching, learning, and outcomes for its students and are recognized to be of the highest quality found in the UK. Now, just, just before, uh, it's Andy Emerton, ca- camera on Andy Emerton, who's the dean, but just, just listen to this. I was talking to one of our board members who's the lecturer at Cambridge. This is not just for theological colleges. Oxford and Cambridge, he, he said to me, I don't know whether this is true, he said Oxford and Cambridge didn't get the gold award, they got the silver award. So Melitus got the gold award. Yeah. Here's the first part of the dream. It's a dream for gender diversity. No distinction of gender. This is what Paul says in Galatians 3, 28. Neither male nor female. It's a remarkable assertion of the equality of the sexes. Centuries in advance of the time, women were nearly always despised in the ancient world, even in Judaism, and frequently exploited and ill-treated. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus repeatedly liberated and affirmed women, treating men and women as equals. Women were the last at the cross and the first at the tomb. And they were the first to be entrusted with the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. So don't disqualify yourself for anything because of your gender, and don't let anybody disqualify you. So how are we doing in this area? Well, good things are happening. The president of Alpha is a woman. (laughs) The CEO of the organization that is behind this network of churches, the Church Revitalization Trust, is a woman. Trisha Neal is the president of Alpha International. Sarah Jackson is the CEO of the church revitalization, and of course Genevieve is our church warden. So with our women in positions of leadership, thank God, but only one of our church plants is led by a woman. None of our city center church plants are yet led by a woman. So we've got a long way to go, but this is the dream that we, this will change. We have a plan, we have a, we have a strategy to change everything, recruitment, training, deployment, and in 12 months time, when you come back to Focus, next year, we will, God willing, be launching two, the first two resource churches, city center church plants, led by women. So here's the second part of the dream. Social diversity. There is neither slave nor free. This is one of the basic distinctions of the Roman world. In nearly every society in the history of the world, there are class and caste divisions. Circumstances of birth, education, wealth, privilege, divide men and women from one another. But in Christ, snobbery is not allowed. Barriers of class and social division are removed and we have to change our selection process. And thanks to Justin and a whole lot of people who are here and others who are not here, the selection process is changing because the selection process used to be based, among other things, on education. That's the wrong test. Who cares how many degrees the vicar has? You could have seven degrees and be a hopeless vicar. The the test should be emotional intelligence. If you've got emotional intelligence, which would you rather have, a vicar with seven degrees and no emotional intelligence, or a vicar with no degrees and great emotional intelligence? So we started, and I spoke about this last year, we started the The Peter stream because we need people in the Church of England who are like Paul. Paul wrote this letter. Thank God for Paul. Paul was chosen by God to write at least half of the New, almost half the New Testament. Brilliant mind, intellectual, middle-class guy, highly educated. We need people like that. But Jesus also chose Peter who was uneducated, who was a fisherman. In fact, probably most of the people Jesus surrounded himself with were not highly educated. But Peter was the rock on whom Jesus built the church. And we need Peters. And thanks to Justin, General Synod has unanimously voted for churches on every estate in this country. There are... 2,500 estates with over 500 uh, um, um, uh, uh, houses that are in uh, what would have been called council houses. And uh, of those, 960 have no Church of England present. So this is the aim, that there will be people raised up for each of those estates. So we need to raise up. Of course, you can go to an estate. You could be, I don't know, educated anywhere and go and, and, and work on an estate. But who is better equipped? Someone who knows nothing about that or someone who's actually lived on one, brought up on one, and knows one? Take a look at this video. One of the four people who last year was one of the Peter Stream was Joe O'Sullivan. This is a, 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 a wider vision, a wider, wider uh, video than just about him. But at least this, by looking at this, you can see what Joe and Sarah O'Sullivan, under Paul Cowley's great leadership at Del- on the Delgano Estate under Grenville Tower. He's one of the four who we ha- were on stage last year, the Peter Stream, starting the Peter Stream. And this video gives a little glimpse of what they've been up to.
1: I grew up in an estate and I think the, the main thing is sort of hopelessness. Hopelessness that there's not much more to life than just the estate. We launched into St. Francis del Way about a year ago and uh, so we joined uh, the congregation
0: that was already here. So there's a small team of us of about five. Most people recognise that the Church of England is underrepresented in terms of its leadership in areas of ethnic diversity, social diversity, and educational diversity. So we've started this new stream of theological training, and we're calling it the Peter Stream.
1: For the first time, I feel like you know, what I couldn't see I couldn't see myself leading in this way and now I see such potential for people that look like me and people that don't look like me to bring that diversity to come and to be part of the church to lead it in this way.
0: What we're finding is there are some really remarkable people who would not have thought that they could be ordained in the Church of England. I've been part of the Peter Stream for the last year, which has been a support really. I
1: think I, the whole process of becoming ordained in the Church of England was something I've never thought that I could do. I dropped out of school when I was 13, single parent family, not well off, didn't see anyone who sort of had that background. Without the Peter stream, I wouldn't be going forward for ordination, not a chance. I think there's real hope for the Church mm. of England, seeing yeah. different kinds of people who could be leading amazing churches around the country. I didn't know anybody when I moved to Bristol. The challenges that you face moving away from home, because uni is so demanding, at least somebody will suffer with mental health. We opened uh, less than a year ago, but in that time we've
0: seen so many students coming through the doors. Students who live in these isolated blocks just around the corner from here, they don't know anyone, and they're looking for not just a degree and a career, but friendship, community a uh, space where they can be themselves and, and feel safe.
1: That's what students are searching for. They're searching for belonging. They're searching um, to be known and to be loved. So yeah, I definitely feel that as St. Nicholas.
0: St. Peter's was itself a church plant from HTB in 2009. And since then, we've been able to plant ourselves five times. Jesus is good news to the poor and in all of our cities there are thousands of people who are poor in the widest sense of that word materially poor socially poor spiritually poor and if the churches that are being planted as resource churches right across the cities in this country could see all the need around them whether it's through urban estates or youth unemployment or food poverty or people who are struggling in drug or alcohol addiction and somehow be the answers with Jesus to those problems, then I believe that we would see the evangelization of the nation and the revitalization of the church and the transformation of society.
1: If every estate had a church that helped their community, it would make a difference to so many lives, from children to adults to the elderly to, to people with disabilities, just to let them know that God loves them and that they are loved would just make such a huge difference
0: so that's the second part of the dream social diversity and here's the third part ethnic diversity there is no distinction of race. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. In Christ, God's promise was fulfilled. You are all Abraham's seed. Includes all nations, race, color, language, all ethnicities will be blessed. And we're supposed to be an example to the world where we see anti-Semitism and racism. Antisemitism led to the Holocaust and racism led to the slave trade and apartheid. They have the same roots, the master race, destined to rule, rule, res, rule resolved to keep racial purity. I want to just remind you of the difference between patriotism and nationalism. Patriotism is a good thing. I am, I, I am English, actually. Well, I'm not, but I'm, I'm British. But I'm a little bit of various things, anyway. Um, <laughs> but I support England in the World Cup. I'm thrilled England won the Cricket World Cup. Yes! I'm patriotic. But nationalism is different. Nationalism is where you think that your people of your race are superior to another race, that people who are English are superior to other countries, that people who are German, are superior to another race. The people who are American are are worth of more value than someone of another nation. People who are Chinese are of more value than another nation. That is nationalism. And that is highly, highly dangerous because we're all equal in God's sight. And I feel passionately about this. Here's the first reason I feel passionately about this, because of the horrors of the past. When I was 14 years of age, my mother took my sister and I for a walk along the promenade in Brighton. And she told us, she said this, your father, my father, is a German Jew and you are never to speak to him about it. And I never did. He died in 1981. I never mentioned to him, and he never mentioned to me, that he was German or Jewish. And I never really understood why. But a few years ago, a museum in Berlin sent me my family tree. I knew nothing about my family, because he told me nothing. But this museum Sent me this file, and on the front cover of this file was my family tree, and I saw that it was interesting. My father, my grandfather was called Sigmund, my great grandfather was called Isaac, and my great-great grandfather was Abraham—not the Abraham, <laughs> but what I saw, my father's down there, right in the middle, in the in the green. Um, I I. My father escaped from the Nazis, together with his sister. Uh, This is the picture of my father and his sister. They escaped in uh, the 30s from the persecution, the Holocaust. But what I saw on this uh, family tree was all the Gumbels who had died in different concentration camps. And all the time, I'm discovering more. Even in the last two weeks, I discovered a bit more about uh, one of his cousins, Siegfried. Uh, Because what's happening now with uh, Wikipedia is articles that are in German uh, are coming out about the Gumbel family, and I'm discovered about Siegfried. Siegfried, yeah, that's Siegfried's picture. He was the mayor of the town. And his wife had died, and his, he managed to help his two children to emigrate. But he stayed because as the mayor, he wanted to look after other Jews who were in Heilbronn. And on Kristallnacht, the night when all the Jews, Jewish shopkeepers had their shops smashed, all the synagogue glass was smashed, he was arrested and taken into custody. And he, it was said that he returned a broken man. And then, uh, on October the 5th, 1941, he was arrested. After being dragged from prison to interrogation for five weeks, the 68-year-old was taken to Dachau concentration camp. There, he was murdered on January the 27th, 1942. And now, I understand why my father was too traumatized by what had happened ever to speak about it, even to his children. The horrors of the past, the dangers now of any hint of anti-Semitism. So that's the first reason I feel passionate about it. The second reason I feel passionate about it, because of the blessings of the present. So our eldest son, Henry, has married someone who comes from Bangalore, she is Indian. So I'm so thrilled. I have an Indian daughter-in-law, and I have, this is their child, my grandson, Makaya. He's half Indian. And then my daughter has married Miles. There's, uh, Miles is from the Punjab, although he's never been to the Punjab. <laughs> and he likes red tops for his wedding. And, um, he sent me a message on WhatsApp, which went like this. Does Nicky want a picture of me leaning on my van, holding a spanner? Then when you drop me into your talk and say I'm a plumber, it also nails the class divide too, Make, <laughs> makes you look less posh. <laughs> so I said, yes, please. I want to look less posh, but <laughs> here he is. And here is their latest, their third child, our eighth grandchild. So he's a quarter Indian, he's an eighth Jewish, and he's passion is his name. So that's the second reason I'm passionate, is because of my family. And the third reason I'm passionate about this, so I'm passionate about, because of the horrors of the past, the blessings of the present. But I'm also passionate about it because of the dream of what the church could look like in the future. The Church of England, we have to acknowledge our past. Your German schools consistently teach now about the Holocaust to ensure it never happens again. And we need to teach our history for the same reason. And the Church of England, we have a lot to be ashamed of. You know, the Church of England owned slaves when slavery was abolished. The Church of England was given compensation, not the slaves. The Church of England received compensation for the slaves that they owned. And that is a horrific past. And then, when the Windrush generation came to this country, they were turned away often by churches, or at least not made to feel welcome in churches. And that's a shocking past. So it's not surprising that they set up their own churches or didn't feel welcome in the Anglican Church, and therefore it's not surprising that we don't see them so much in the leadership. So here are... Because if you can't see it, you don't think you can be it. So this is the, here are the statistics of a BAME, that is Black, Asian and Minority Ethnic. Some people don't think it's a helpful word, but let's just use it anyway. Statistically, there are 7.6 million people in the UK who are BAME, 40% of London. of HDB is ethnically diverse. 5% of London clergy, 3.4% nationally. And so our congregation at HDB is totally representative of London. But, and this is where I have failed, and I have to take responsibility, it's entirely my fault. None of our leadership, not one of the curates are. And that's what has to change. And thank God it is changing because a number of our ordinands are. And that will change. So this is not an issue of political correctness or PR. This is a justice issue. This is a theological issue. This is a Jesus issue. We had two fantastic talks, or one, um, uh, Sadie was amazing in in the interview, and we had a fantastic talk today on the subject of go and make disciples of all nations. The Greek word is ethne, go and make disciples of all ethnicities, and that's what they did. If you read Acts chapter 2, look at the list. It was Africans, Asians, and Arabs. Look at that list. And in there, you see Cretans and Arabs. We did an Alpha Weekend. Rebecca uh, and Alex Stewart were leading our group, and we had uh, a a, a guy called Rames was in the group. who's Palestinian. By the way, all these people have given... I don't tell stories about people unless they've given me permission to tell their story. Uh, Bernie gave me permission to tell that story, and Rames has given me permission to this story. He invited his friend, Andreas, who is a Greek Cypriot. And on the Sunday morning, as people were being filled with the Spirit, I saw Rames tears pouring down his face. I said, why are you crying? He said, I've just seen, in this verse, Cretans and Arabs. He said, I'm an Arab, and my friend is a Cretan, and we're both being filled with the Holy Spirit at the same time. see, we tend to think of the church, or like these films, Jesus is white. Jesus was not white. None of the disciples were white, not one of them. The early church were made up of like these Asians, Africans, Arabs, the early theologians. Tertullian came from Tunisia, Clement from Egypt, Polycarp from Turkey, Justin from the Palestinian West Bank, Ignatius from Turkey, Basil of Nazaranda, Gregory of Nyssa came from Turkey, John of Damascus came from Syria. All the desert fathers lived in Egypt. It was diversity. That was the church. So what's the dream? Let's get back to the church as it should be. So that's the point of the Peter stream. It's the parts of the church that are underrepresented. The parts of the church that are underrepresented, it's two separate streams. One is those that are educationally or socially diverse. The other is those that are ethnically diverse. There might be some small overlap, but not necessarily. But we need to... If the church is going to represent the nation, which it should, then the leadership must represent the nation. The nation is educationally, socially, and ethnically diverse. So, you see the people from the the Peter stream. So, on the front cover of the magazine that's on on your chairs, there's, there's Julian. More about the Peter stream in the magazine. And I don't really care what it's called as long as we change our leadership. I'm talking to myself. I'm preaching to myself. As long as the leadership of HDB and this network looks different in five years' time, I'll be happy. (laughs) So we started with four last year. And this September, in just two months' time, there are 19 starting. And would you like to come up on the stage? right now some of the cu- <clears throat> this includes some of our young female ordinands So Jemima, you're like a forerunner, just Jemima, come and tell us, tell us a little bit about your story.
1: Okay, so, so my, my father was, um, was married, so I was born out of, a, out of an affair, and, and my mum was an alcoholic at the time. So what that meant for me was I spent the first nine years of my life in care, um, and when I was about nine years old, I'll, I grew up in West Africa, in Ghana, where I moved around in care. Um, and when I was about nine years old, I moved over here to the UK, where I met my mum and my brother for the first time, and um, and yeah, that was a bit of my story.
0: And tell us what you're doing right now.
1: And right now, I just finished my first year of ordination training at Saint Malita's College. Yeah.
0: When you when you finish your when do you finish your curacy?
1: I finish my ordination training next summer, and then I will be doing a curacy at HTB.
0: Hallelujah, <laughs> Claude. <laughs> just just tell it. Give the brief your brief story, Claude. Um, my life had been nothing but a struggle. I grew up in a household full of domestic violence and physical child abuse. And um, uh, in my younger years, I used to sleep under the stairs in our house due to lack of space. And then uh, in my teenage years, I got involved in heavily in um, drug dealing. And for the next 20 years, I started drug dealing at the age of 15. And for the next 20 years, continued to do so until I met a Christian and had an opportunity to um, enrolled on an alpha course,
1: where I encountered Jesus, and had a life-changing experience.
0: And what's happening now? Uh, now I'm enrolled and I'm starting um, study in September at Saint Melitus, and I'm gonna be a vicar. So, here's the future of the Church of England. Thank you guys so much. Thank you guys so much. So, here's the, here's the, here is, so last year four, this year 19. And this is my hope, this is my prayer for tonight. I think God has been stirring people here who you had up till now maybe disqualified yourself because of your gender, because of your social or educational background, or because of your ethnicity. And next September, we're looking for 50 people. And I believe quite a lot of those are here tonight. And I'm going to give you an opportunity later to come forward if that you feel that stirring. Coming forward doesn't mean that you get ordained, although Justin Welby could ordain you straight away. <laughs> but he won't. So, uh, but, but we're looking for 50 for next September. That's September 2020. And for September 2021, we're looking for 150. And for September 22, we're looking for 500. And that will change the nation. So, here's the vision in a nutshell. Diversity is beautiful. Do you know that there is going to be diversity in heaven? So, heaven, there's going to be unity in heaven, but we're not going to be unified into some kind of amorphous, homogenous blob. This is the picture in heaven. Revelation, chapter 7, verse 9. Then I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. (laughs) Distinction is not eliminated, it is celebrated in heaven. And that's the dream. So, this is what Paul writes in Ephesians. Chapter 2, he said that this is what Jesus did. This is why we're all children of God in Christ Jesus, because Jesus on the cross and through the resurrection broke down every dividing wall of hostility and made us one in Jesus Christ. And the purpose of that, he tells, Paul tells us in Ephesians 3, was so that the church would reflect The manifold wisdom of God. The manifold wisdom of God. That word manifold appears once in the New Testament. Polypoikolos. It also appears in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, it's the word used to describe Joseph's coat of many colors. It's the beauty of diversity. And the church is meant to reflect the manifold wisdom of God. It's meant to be like a richly ornamented robe with huge diversity. And this is my dream. This is my new dream. This is my vision. This is my hope for all of us in this network and hopefully wider than this. That in five years time, the church will look totally different. It will be representative of, truly representative of this nation. It will be diverse in its leadership, gender diverse, socially and educationally diverse, ethnically diverse. It will be so beautiful and so representative of the nation that everyone will say, wow, that's beautiful. I'm attracted to church and through the church, because the church represents Jesus. Through the church, I'm attracted to Jesus. And through that, we will see the evangelization of this nation, the revitalization of the church, and the transformation of society. In Jesus' name, amen.